Life isn't about avoiding the bruises. It's about collecting the scars to prove that we showed up for it. Join Nikki Seberini for the next hour as she explores heroism through illness. There is a warrior inside each of us. This is Life Links with the DL Link. Life Links is a funding initiative of the DL Link. Good afternoon, good afternoon, and how are you? I do hope that you are having a rather fabulous um, Thursday. And I'm looking forward to being with you for the next hour. We have um, Rosh Hashanah behind us. We have the fast behind us. I do hope that it was a illuminating and a meaningful fast. And so we continue here on the DL Link Show on 101.9 High FM to really connect you through insights, information, and illumination. And September is um, Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. So we're going to be shining the light on prostate cancer awareness um, on the show today. I have Dr. Osayanda Evbuomwan, who is a senior lecturer and medical specialist in the Department of Nuclear Medicine, Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of the Free State. Um, we last spoke to Dr. Evbuom, um uh, I think it was around about 2021. Um, they were doing incredible work at um, the University of the Free State Department of Nuclear Medicine around treating first patients with advanced stages of prostate cancer. So we're going to be looking at that nuclear therapy, when it is used. Um, but first, let's uh, let's take a look at prostate cancer and let's take a look at warning signs and whatnot. So first of all, welcome, um, Dr. Osayande uh, Evo-Boamwan. It's really, really wonderful to have you back on the show. I do hope you're well. Thank you so much. I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Fantastic, fantastic. So before we get to the incredible work that you're doing, um, really a catch up on how the treatments are going um, since we last chatted in 2021. This is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. So let's just have a look at prostate cancer, doctor. Um, and I suppose a very good place to start is where we always like to start, which is looking at early warning signs because of how important that early detection is. So perhaps we can unpack um, in terms of uh, males and prostate cancer, what, what would early warning signs look like? Yeah, um, thank you. So yeah, prostate cancer is, is quite a very important malignancy for men because we, we clearly know it's the second most um, common cause of cancer in men and it's actually the second most common cause of cancer death in men, sure. so it's quite important, Yeah. And like you rightly said, um, discovering this cancer quite early sometimes can even have what is called curative intent. So these patients actually get cured, which is surgery, for example. Yeah, there are quite uh, one or two early signs that you have to watch out for. But, you know, I, I, we tend to try to educate people that, first of all, what is most important is for you to find out from your family line if there's a family history of prostate cancer okay because then if you have a family history of prostate cancer then maybe you might have to start doing one or two investigations early enough to be able to detect any potential change in the in disease status of your prostate okay but then these early signs usually will be signs that have to do with urination you know so patients might have discomfort in urinating they might be urinating a lot at night they might have 
problems of emptying their bladder fully and all that. So it means that the prostate is already beginning to swell, you know. But apart from prostate cancer now, there are other benign conditions in the prostate gland that could also give you these early um, symptoms. But like, like you rightly said, the early symptoms should be known so that the patients can go on to further investigate themselves to be sure if they have cancer or not. Okay. Thank you so much. So really, when we're looking at prostate cancer, um, it is all around urination. So you're looking at, um, you, you, there are no lumps, there are no bumps. Um, just be aware of changes in, in that. Really bring your awareness to that. Yes, at least when you start getting older from 45, 50 upwards, when you start having problems with urinating, you need yeah. to investigate your prostate. Okay, thank you, doctor. We know, as you've said, I mean, it's, it's, it's so prevalent, prostate cancer, and um, with early detection, you usually have um, very good results. When someone is diagnosed, I know that there are four stages of prostate cancer, perhaps you can just outline the four stages and the different types of treatments that are available for this particular cancer. Okay, so you basically have um, two groups of patients. You have patients who present with local disease. Local disease means that it's only confined to the prostate gland. Okay, so it's spread nowhere else. Okay, so that's usually stage one. And then when you start having what is known as local regional spread of the prostate cancer to surrounding structures close to the prostate cancer, sorry, close to the prostate gland, like the seminal vesicles. Okay, so that's what is called local regional spread. That's usually stage two, stage three. But when you start having distant spread so you're having spread to the bones you're having spread to lymph nodes that are very far from the prostate gland spread to the lungs and uh, to the kidneys or to the adrenals then you that stage four and, and, and depending on the stage of the prostate cancer the management for these patients differ so I know that you know I know that when it comes to the nuclear medicine and the the, the treatment that you um, specialize in and that you offer at the university, um, I know that it's offered to a later stage of of cancer, the prostate cancer, as well as those who are yeah they 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 are not eligible for chemotherapy. So perhaps we can just unpack that. When, when people would turn to the, the, the nuclear therapy and, and what in fact, when we look at nuclear medication, what, what, what is it? Okay. So before, before I get there, just a little summary on, on treatment modalities. So usually if a patient has prostate cancer, for example, okay. Yeah. So a, a histological diagnosis is made. And then based on that histological diagnosis, you actually have what is even called a watch and wait approach. You don't even do anything because that particular cancer is almost benign. It's not very, it's not, it's not really, really a poor prognostic um, type of cancer. So you watch and you monitor the patient. Okay. So that's actually one management plan. Then you have the management plan where the prostate cancer is just confined to the prostate gland and they can actually do surgery to take the whole thing out. Or they can do localized brachytherapy to take care of this cancer, okay? But now some of these patients will present with disease sites of metastatic disease where the cancer has spread. 
So those local treatments like surgery or brachytherapy are no options for these patients. They need what is called systemic therapy. Okay. So that's why they start getting things like chemotherapy. All right. But some of these patients cannot tolerate chemotherapy. Some of these patients don't even respond at all to chemotherapy. Some of these patients are actually too sick to take chemotherapy. So this is where the nuclear medicine therapy comes into play. However, I must tell you that there are trials all over the world now that have seen the efficacy of the nuclear medicine therapy, especially when it started early on in these metastatic cases. So they are beginning to actually look at the possibility of actually also using them as first-line treatment in patients who qualify to take chemotherapy. You know, so these are discussions that are made in what is called an NDT meeting. So the nuclear medicine physicians, the oncologists and the urologists, they sit down together, they discuss all these treatment options, they also discuss it with the patients, and then the patients make their decision on what they want to do. Yeah, so... But basically for now, we are still using it right now for patients who have already had chemotherapy but are not responding to it or are having too much side effects from chemotherapy. So fascinating. Um, and, and what I'm really finding interesting um, is when you said that they are seeing the, the efficacy in um, the nuclear medicine treatment when starting early. Okay, so that's very good. So, so let's, let's rewind again and let's go back to when we last chatted in 2021 and you were offering this therapy. <clears throat> it's a very expensive therapy, I know, and I'm, and I'm sure that that's possibly why, um, it's, it's, you know, it, it hasn't been used earlier, although I don't know, and, and please correct me when I'm wrong because I'm, I'm, I'm sure I am. But um, in terms of the treatment that you were offering people at the university, how are you seeing, doctor? Okay, so um, we, we've treated, uh, like you said, it's quite expensive and each patient has to take about four or five doses thereabouts, you know. <clears throat> One dose is close to 60,000 rounds, you can imagine. So we've been able to treat um, three patients, which we've had very good results. Well, our, our best result so far has been with the third patient we, who has responded very well. Okay, and then this is close to 14 or 15 months after I started his therapy, and he's still very fit and he's, he's actually, in short, he's eager to go on for more treatments. And we've been giving him actually more treatments. Okay. Now you might not can, know this. Uh, yeah? Sorry, carry on. No, no, please carry on. Yeah, so you might not know this. So you see the particular treatment we're giving is lutetium therapy. Okay. So lutetium is a better emitter. Okay. It means that it's able to destroy the cancer without causing so much damage to any surrounding tissue. But there is a new kid on the block now, which is called actinium-225. It's an alpha emitter. Okay. So because that has also become available to us, we're one of the lucky few in the country who's going to be able to also treat patients with this. So we are trying to actually move some of these lutetium patients now to even a more effective therapy, which is the actinium therapy. So like I said, we noticed that our TED patient, for example, was doing so well. So we are actually trying to move him into actinium therapy to see if we can actually cure him to an extent so that he, he remains disease-free for at least a long period of time. Wow, wow. Okay, that's amazing. So so for 15 months, he, you've been treating him with this lutetium. 
Yes. You say that he's fit, he's feeling good, he wants to continue with the treatment. Yes. You say that now there is, as you said on the block, um, aptemium. I, I can't, I can't pronounce all of these correctly, doctor. Oh, I do apologize. <laughs> but you say, you say that this could even cure him completely. Um, which is, which is really incredible. So, so let us go back before he went for the 15 months of the, this treatment with the lutetium. What, what was he on before and how advanced was the cancer and how was he feeling at that stage? Okay. So he, he had widespread bone metastasis. Okay. So Ooh, he was, okay. he was, he was suffering from lots of bone pains. He couldn't really move very well. You know, so they were especially with his hips. You know, his, his, the whole of his the bones in his legs. You know, full of cancer in the spine, the spine, the, the vertebrae full of cancer and all that. All right. So, but he was taking chemotherapy. But after his third dose of chemotherapy, he couldn't tolerate this, so he had to stop. Okay. Okay. And of course, this is a young gentleman. He was about fifty-six, I think, fifty-seven when he. He started this treatment. You know, so at that point in time, the oncology department got in touch with us to see if he qualifies for our nuclear medicine therapy. Okay, so on my side, I was happy with the fact that he's not been already heavily pretreated with chemotherapy. Okay, so he had just taken only three doses as against some who would have taken 20, 25 doses and all that. So we're able to do the pre-workup for him and we could see that the prostate cancer receptors on his cancer were very, very good for our therapy because that is something that is very important. You need to select the patients properly and make sure that it is ones who have the receptors in a high amount of number that should get this treatment. So he fell into that category. So that's why we also feel like he, he did respond very well till now. So he was very, he was, he was quite ill and, but right now he's fine. He moves around. He comes, he travels down every time for his treatment. He goes back by himself. He, 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 he walks now. He does everything. It's, he's very okay. Hmm. Fantastic. Doctor, we're going to take a quick break. Please stay with us. We're going to be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to the show. This is the DL Link Show on 101.9 High FM. This is the show where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Today we are shining the light on prostate cancer. September is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. I have Dr. Osayanda Ebuomwan, who is a senior lecturer and medical specialist in the Department of Nuclear Medicine. And that's the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of the Free State. We're talking about nuclear medicine. We're talking about the advances. We're talking about treatment, warning signs. Of course, we always focus on early detection, always being aware of the slight changes in our body sometimes. Um, and when it comes to the, the, the prostate cancer, doctors talking about changes in your urination, your habits, um, when, how long. And, you know, a lot of the times um, we're so in our head and we're so thinking and doing, we're not always feeling into our bodies and really getting the messages that our bodies are giving us. So, um 
really that's so important. Um, also, what has been so interesting is um, doctor has been sharing how um, they've been using the nuclear medicine for treatment on a number of patients. One particular patient we've been focusing on um, seems to be doing really, really well. So now, doctor, you can just explain to all of us when we hear nuclear, unfortunately, you know, all sorts of awful images come up, but of course, nuclear technology is used in a very positive way in terms of medicine here, well, in lots of areas, actually. So perhaps you can just explain to me and to the audience what nuclear medicine looks like. You talk about receptors. So what does it look like? Is it a pill? Is it a machine you go through? Is it a drip in infusion? What, what is nuclear medicine? All right. Thank you. So, um, yeah, I agree with you totally. When people hear nuclear, they're like, wow, okay, uh, nuclear bombs and all that. But you see, the truth is that where you actually get your nuclear bombs from is where we almost also get our nuclear materials from. Okay, so mm -hmm. for the uranium plant, for example, that's where you're going to get most of our nuclear medicine materials. So what usually happens is that... Um, so nuclear medicine is a branch of medicine where we use radioisotopes or radio tracers for investigation, diagnosis, or treatment, okay? So basically, a radioisotope is just an unstable, it's, it's an element that has an unstable nucleus, okay? So that nucleus has to become stable. And in the process of getting stable, it releases radiation. So for us, there are two types of radiation, the one that can be used for imaging and then the one that can be used for therapy, all right. So mm -hmm. the advantage nuclear medicine has is that it's quite very specific. So you actually have some radioisotopes that will go exactly to where you want it to go. So, for example, radioactive iodine will always go to the thyroid gland. So if I want to image the thyroid gland or treat the thyroid gland, I will give a patient a radioisotope that might decay by releasing energy for imaging. Or if I want to treat, I will give it a radioisotope that would decay or try to become stable by releasing energy for therapy. Okay, so we can give these treatments or these uh, investigational radioisotopes in various ways. It can be by an injection through the vein. It can be even an injection through the muscle. It could be tablets that are swallowed, or it could actually be gases that are inhaled. Okay, so if, for example, if we want to image the lungs and see how the lungs are being ventilated, if there's enough air going into the lungs, then we can and give them this um, radioisotopes through an inhalational route so that they take it into the nose. Now, you have radioisotopes that might not just go to where you want it to go. You have to add what is called a tracer that takes the radioisotope to where you want it to go. Okay, so if I want to image the heart, for example, there's a special tracer that will always go to the heart. So if I tag that tracer to the radioisotope, then it will go to the heart. So this is how we use it for treating because most of these cancers, they have special receptors on them. Okay, so if I get a tracer that binds to those special receptors, if I attach that tracer to a nuclear medicine radioisotope, that tracer takes the nuclear medicine radioisotope to that receptor. So it's very specific. It takes yeah. it to where cancer is. And because it's quite specific and we're actually now on the cancer properly, we're able to deliver very high radiation doses to destroy the cancer. 
So that's one of the greatest advantage of nuclear medicine because it's quite specific to where you want it to go. Mm. Then you have very, very high doses that is able to cause at least a single stranded DNA break. Much better, a double stranded. And that's what the actinium does, for example. The actinium tends to do more of a double stranded DNA break. And that's difficult for the cancer to repair. Wow. But it, yeah. So that, that's, that's the advantage of nuclear medicine therapy. And that's what it's basically all about. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's, it's powerful. It's strong. It's directed. As you say, it's very specific. Yeah. So you can give high doses to the cancer. But what kind of impact does it have to the surrounding tissue? If you're looking at a radioactive substance moving through your body, is there danger and does this patient who's going for nuclear medicine, do they need to be isolated? Are they then radioactive in some way? Perfect. That is a good question. Yeah. So first of all, um, you remember th- this is also a drug. Okay. And yeah. this drug has to get excreted. Yeah. Okay. So depending on the route of excretion of this, of this radioisotope, if it's through the bowel, if it's through the liver, if it's through the kidney or the bladder, whatever, those areas that are going to excrete it are also going to be irradiated. Okay. Yeah. So basically, we will definitely do a pre-workup just to be sure that the functions in those areas are fine. Okay. And then as we treat the patients, we continue to check those functions and monitor them. Okay. So again, at the end of the day, there's a limit at which we will be able to go. Mm-hmm. All right. But most of these patients already get their therapeutic efficacy even before they get to those limits. If they get to those limits already and we can't go further, then unfortunately we can't go further. But it's not a very common thing. So, so side effects from nuclear medicine therapy, they, they, they are not too common. And even if they do occur, they're usually what we call grade one, grade two side effects. You will hardly be having grade three, grade four side effects. So not many patients stop nuclear medicine therapy because of the side effects. It's not a very common thing. Wow. Wow, doctor. And you explain it so well. Thank you so much. I mean, for people who are listening um, and, you know, I mean, it's we don't often hear people talk, obviously, about chemotherapy and their surgery and people hear a lot about all the different treatments and and, and the auto the, the immune treatment as well and um, not yes. autoimmune the immune therapy but the immunotherapy we don't often hear about um, nuclear medicine when when should a when should a patient be having this discussion with their doctor um in terms of i mean you you're offering it at the university of of the free state where where else is it readily available Oh, no, this is also readily available, at least I'm very sure in, uh, of course, in, around the country, in the private sector, it is, it is available in Houghton, in Cape Town. I see. Yeah. I see. But okay. in the, uh, in the university hospital, I know they are very, in short, the, the founders and, of, of this project are the guys in Pretoria, University of Pretoria, your Prof. Mike Sateke, he has done lots and lots of work on prostate cancer therapy with nuclear medicine. In short, he is being revered and referenced in the whole world. Oh, you know, wow. we, we actually went for an international, international conference um, last month in Vienna, to a European con- nuclear medicine conference, and his work was rated as number one in the world, and he got an award for that. You know, oh, so he, he, he gives us encouragement. So he's done lots of fantastic work with prostate cancer and actinium therapy. 
and his mm -hmm. patients are doing well even five years after starting this therapy. So this is what is encouraging us to, 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 to go for this therapy too. Fantastic. Well, doctor, thank you for again joining us and, um, and so patiently explaining something that's really quite complex but incredibly powerful um, and so interesting um, to me and to the audience. We really appreciate it. And just continue with this fabulous work that you're doing at the U University of the Free State, your Department of Nuclear Medicine in the Faculty of the Health Sciences. And uh, hopefully lots of success with the patients that you're working with and hopefully we'll be able to chat again soon and get updates. We appreciate your time. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You, you can reach out to me at any time. We just hope that we continue to get funds and uh, so that we can push this to the oh, level that it should be. Please, God. Please, God. Please, God. Thank you so much, Doctor. Okay. Take care right. and goodbye. Dr. Osayanda Ev Buamwan, who's a senior lecturer and medical specialist in the Department of Nuclear Medicine. Um, that's the University of the Free State. So interesting. Wow. Wow. There's such clever people in this world. I'm so delighted. Um, and to be able to hear, um, yeah, that people are accessing this brilliance to help with the treatment of cancer is just fantastic.